This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. I'll tell you, the guy going tonight for the Astros, too, Hunter Brown, I'm still waiting for him to put it together. You know, he's been good. He's been okay, but this dude's got some nasty stuff. And I don't know, maybe being back with a guy like Verlander and watching him every day go about his work again will maybe help this guy out moving forward. I mean, Hunter Brown's got stuff to where he could be like the ace of a staff one day. So we'll see how he continues to mature. But tonight the Yankees are going to have to find a way to solve them. They're down 4-1 going to the fourth inning. So before we get back to the phones, yesterday, of course, we had the Jet broadcast, and so that kind of like ate up the majority of my time and energy and concentration. I wasn't really paying too much to what else was going on. And I got to the station last night. And I poked my head into the uh, other studio where they were doing the K show. And they're talking about the Anthony Rizzo stuff. I said, what, do you, what happened? And they told me what happened. And then I went back and I heard some of the comments and whatnot. And I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. Right? Because we're all looking to try to get an explanation as to why Anthony Rizzo has struggled as mightily as he has the last couple of months of the season. Why the guy the last two months is batting a buck 70 and he only has one home run. Why on Friday, excuse me, on Sunday night in Baltimore, he had five strikeouts in the game? You know, we were joking around the next night, and I said, you know, well, Luis Severino is the self-proclaimed worst pitcher in baseball, and I said the way Anthony Rizzo's been swinging the bat, Yankees got themselves the worst position player in baseball too. But now, finally, you have a little bit more clarity as to why things are as bad as they are, right? Because remember, before that episode happened in May with Fernando Tatis Jr., Rizzo was actually playing pretty well this year. He's a 300 hitter, showed you a little pop. You thought, all right, this guy's going to be a potent lefty bat in your lineup. He's going to help provide a little bit of protection for Aaron Judge in that lineup, and the Yankees are going to look smart for making sure that they kept him around, even though he's on the wrong side of 30. But if you go back to that day in May at the stadium, like we all watched it, we all saw what happened, right? That collision with Fernando Tatis at first base, Rizzo immediately like dropped to the ground, and he knew something wasn't right. And I don't have my Ph.D. in medicine, but I could tell that there was something wrong, and it probably contributed from what happened with Tatis. But he never really even missed time, and I was really surprised about that. And so according to Anthony Rizzo, apparently he told the Yankees after Sunday, the five-strikeout game, that something wasn't right, that he was a little bit off. They wasn't feeling well. And so what happened? You're playing Monday and Tuesday. Think about that for a second, guys, okay? Think about that. You heard me go off a few minutes ago about Aaron Judge and the way that they're coddling him and giving him rest because of the toe situation, right? Anthony Rizzo, who, say what you want about Anthony Rizzo. I know we've been dogging him for the last couple of months because he hasn't been performing well. But Anthony Rizzo has accomplished a lot in this game. All right. He's been a he's had a really if Anthony Rizzo never plays another game, he's had a really, really good career. An all star. How many times over a World Series champion with the Chicago Cubs, a really, you know, does great work in the community for, you know, kids with cancer because he used to be one of them. You know, he's he's a really good person and a pretty good baseball player, too. But if a guy like Anthony Rizzo, after a five strikeout performance, after the way he's been scuffling at the plate for two months now, he comes up to you on Sunday and says, something is off. I'm not feeling right. But yet they put him in the lineup again on Monday and Tuesday after that. 
Aaron Judge, God forbid they let him near a field because he DH'd for a couple of games in a row. Like, so help me figure this out. I'm trying to piece it together with the Yankee medical team and the training staff and their logic. What medical school did they go to? What, where, where did they get their degrees in sports science? Explain that to me, please. Because I sure as hell can't figure it out. What, do they have, like, interns running it? And they're the ones that are deciding who plays and who doesn't play. So you got a guy here who's a little foggy, he says. And especially in this day and age, with everything that has happened, especially in the world of the NFL, taking the utmost precautions, dealing with concussions and head injuries, and it really has kind of transformed to all sports. You know, not just the NFL and football. All sports now, there is the utmost care. You have to pass serious protocols, concussion testing, blah, 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 blah. So they put Anthony Rizzo in the lineup. They kept running him out. Ah, the hell with him. Ah, who knows? Ah, you know, he'll be fine. Ah, it's all, it's, it's all right. And it just doesn't add up the way they're treating Aaron Judge, the way they treated Anthony Rizzo. You're telling me then that one is more important than the other. It's just, it, it, it's mind-boggling to me. It really is. Now, look, initially he passed all those concussion tests. He said he only had neck pain. But you know what? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a worry wart by nature. Maybe I'm always the one, like, trying to just peel through the layers until there's absolutely nothing there to get to the bottom of something. And I'm also that guy sometimes, like, when I have, like, one bit of evidence, I'm going to, like, go out on a limb and just think that, oh, it could be this. You know, because I'm just, like, neurotic that way. But I'll tell you, if I saw what happened to Anthony Rizzo back in May, and then the guy's complaining of neck pain, and all of a sudden he's not playing good baseball for two months, I'm going to still go back and think, or I'm going to at least force the guy to still keep getting checked out, that maybe it has something to do with that episode to get with Fernando Tatis Jr. It's just, it really is head-scratching. You remember what happened with the Mets, right? All those years ago, Ryan Church had the head issue. Put him on the plane out to Colorado, it got only worse. And now he's dealing with concussion symptoms. And that was really the end of that. So here's Rizzo, his own admission. What happened after that Tatis collision? When it happened, we flew to Seattle that day. You know, whenever you go out west, for me, throughout my career, I'm always a little more tired. So I didn't think it was anything different. Woke up with a little bit of a neck pain, but that was addressed quickly. And then felt like we were ready to go, just have felt normal and then obviously the struggles have been well documented and in this game you you try to figure out what's going on always whenever you're struggling and I've struggled plenty in this game but I've also done it for a long time to know that you usually come out and there's signs of coming out and I mean I remember talking to someone like oh do you feel like you're coming out of this soon I answered it honestly I'm like no I don't because it just I couldn't feel what you're trying to feel as a hitter and I don't know if that's related and I guess now we can link two and two together and again this is a guy who's been around the block he's been in the big leagues for quite some time I think he knows himself more than anybody else does so why did you ultimately go get tested over the last few weeks, you start going to your different checklists of 
mechanics, timing, consistently being late. Why am I consistently being late? I've made these adjustments plenty of times in my career. I just didn't forget how to all of a sudden do this. So talking with the training staff, we, we got an appointment with you know one of the best neurologists, I, I believe, in the world. And they ran tests and they basically said everything that we talked about and everything that they came back with basically came back on a silver lining of I'm not crazy for walking back to the dugout consistently thinking, man, how did I miss that pitch? I usually don't miss that. Or, you know, when I swung at a pitch, thinking it was in one location, then going looking at the video, it's in a different location. And as a baseball player, that's frustrating. And we compete and we try to find answers within the game. And I mean, I've played hurt plenty of times and my body adapts to playing hurt. My body's has been in physically really good shape this year. Back-wise has been really good. So it's, you just, we went and got tests ran and it comes back saying that, you know, I'm I'm moving a lot slower than the normal person reactions time would be. And that's definitely alarming, especially for what we do for a living. So, but the good news is they said that with the regiment they put me on, it should be fully healed. That's good, right? Because now they're going to operate with the utmost care and caution as they should. And by the way, not that one has anything to do with the other, but it's all kind of connected, at least in terms of the body. Remember last year in September, Anthony Rizzo was dealing with migraines because he had that epidural. Right, so this was a slippery slope here. And they're not the first, unfortunately, and they're not the last, but it's just, it, it, it's kind of mind-boggling to me how in professional sports where you're supposed to have the best doctors, the best trainers, the best staff, the whole nine yards, they make mistakes like this again. And there's been a lot of trial and error as well that you should be able to learn from other people's missteps as far as dealing with players and dealing with injuries and especially head, head injuries of this nature. That's the scary part about this whole thing. So I don't know how long he's going to be out. I mean, look, we could sit here and fork out. Nobody has any idea. Concussions, those are, they have to resolve themselves on their own. You're not going to take a pill for something like this. You can't just sit there and, you know, you know rub some ointment, rub some tussin on it. It's not going to happen. You have to let this thing play itself out organically. So if you're the Yankees, you know what? Could be the rest of the season. Post-concussion syndrome, I mean, those things have ended careers. Remember Scott Stevens, the great Hall of Fame defenseman with the Devils. He He took a slap shot to the side of his head, to his ear, right? And then he went and played through it a little bit. But then down the road, it was, you know, something's not right. And it was essentially effects from post-concussion syndrome, and then he never played hockey again. And he was an Iron Man. You just never know. Dan in New Jersey, up next, here on 98.7 ESPN. Daniel, good evening. How are you? Hey, Dan. Good evening, Daniel. Shout out to the company. How are you? Dan, I am outstanding. What is going on? Not much. I just finished my first internship, which was pretty cool. I got to call... A, a whole league of summer pro-am basketball, which was, I loved it. There you go. I'm so happy. There you go. You got? Did you get good feedback from it? That's the important thing. I think I did. One of my uh, advisors at school is actually the announcer for the New York Red Bulls, the radio oh, announcer, nice. Matt Harmon. Okay. I know Matt. I know Matt, sure. So uh, I'm going to send my stuff over to him, see what he says. Hopefully I improve, but I – I feel myself improving as I keep going on. Well, that's what you got. It's it's, it's it, no different than anything else. You got to keep getting reps. You got to keep doing it, and then ultimately you're going to feel more comfortable each time you do it. And and I think you're you're attacking it the right way. Like I told you, that's the best way to do it. I appreciate that, and 
I do have a point about the Yankees. It's it feels like every day with them, even though they won yesterday, there's a piece of news that just continues to make them look like a clown show. It's once again become the Bronx Zoo. It's no longer the evil empire. It's become the Bronx Zoo again. I mean, the stuff with Domingo Herman, they knew Domingo Herman had a problem from years ago, and they continue to just neglect it. Well, Same we thing don't with know Rizzo. that. Dan, we don't know that, though. That's we fair. don't know if one has anything to do with the other. That, that's, that's a harsh accusation. We really don't know about the alcohol stuff. We don't know how long. They say one had nothing to do with the other. Well, I heard that – I was seeing reports that he was drunk when he had the issue in the outburst with his wife. So that's well, the only th- and then the thing with Rizzo, but he's, disastrous. But, but Dan, like, there's a difference. Dan, there's a difference, remember, of just having too much to drink one night, which could happen to anybody – to then being termed you're an alcoholic and you got a problem. That's a chronic pattern of behavior. That's why you can't make the association between the two. That's very true. I I agree. It just feels like there's such a, like an arrogance in the Yankees, uh, like a smugness around the Yankees organization that, oh, we're right, and if you go against us, you're wrong. And to be honest with you, the Yankees are the ones that are wrong. The rest of the league has started to pass them by. Toronto's better than them. Boston's better than them. Tampa Bay's been better than them for the whole for the majority of this beginning of decade. Baltimore's now better than them. I'd even say to the stretch that the Mets are more aware in the situation that they are than the Yankees, because in Yankee Land, Brian Cashman continues to run this team like he like there's nothing wrong in everything he's doing. Like it's 2009. He needs to get with the modernization, or he needs to go somewhere else. It, it can't continue to happen where. The Yankees are become the Yankees of the Bronx too. It's like when George ran the team, but not to an extent where George is. They're making those kinds of headlines, but not like George being outrageous. And you know, you said the word arrogance, Dan, and I thank you for the phone call. I, I think that there is some of that with the Yankees, to be quite honest with you. Right? It's basically continuing to just put the same product to a certain degree out there on the field, and we're on the right track because. We win 90 games every year. We're in the playoffs every year more often than not. It's just that we have bad luck when October rolls around. You know, like I was reminded of something from a couple of years ago. Remember when the Yankees lost to, I think it was the Red Sox, in the playoffs a couple of years ago? And Aaron Boone went up there at the podium and he said, you know what, the rest of the league has caught us and they've tracked us down. I'm paraphrasing. Well, what do you mean they've caught you and they've tracked you down? You still had not won a World Series since 2009. You still haven't been to the World Series since 2009. So what do you mean they've caught you? How are you the hunted? How are you that guy? How are you that team that everybody is eyeing on? Shouldn't it be the Houston Astros? Shouldn't it be the Boston Red Sox? Shouldn't it be some of these other teams that have actually, oh, I don't know, like gone to the World Series? Not the Yankees. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. Remember, we're going to have Rich Semini on coming up at about 8.30 to talk a little Jet football, the Hall of Fame festivities this weekend in Canton, Ohio. I wanted to talk about the Mets when we returned, but along the lines of the Mets, something interesting has just transpired involving the Amazons, and it's about the way the organization and their fans and dealing with the fans and so on and so forth – Maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe you won't be surprised. But we'll talk about it when we come back. Grazza Show till 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. I got my Ph.D. in fruit. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>
apparently, Steve and Alex Cohen, the owners of the team, have crafted a letter which they have mailed out to season ticket holders, kind of explaining their moves over the last couple of weeks, where the organization is heading moving forward. So I can't sit here, and I'm not going to read all of it for you because it's pretty lengthy, but just to, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick out the, you know, the key parts here for you. This is not where we wanted to be in 2023. Our goal is to be a consistent contender. The only way to do this in a sustainable way is to build a pipeline of high-caliber talent in our farm system that will fuel our major league team for years to come. As we approach the trade deadline, we made the decision to expedite that process. Became clear we needed to pivot and build for the future. The trades we made over the last several days have allowed us to do that. In a very short period of time, we have infused an unprecedented amount of top-tier prospects into our system that would otherwise have taken years to accumulate. So then they name a lot of the prospects and blah, 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 blah. Um, we want to thank the guys that we traded away. We promise you we will work hard to field a competitive team in 2024. Our core group of experienced players, including Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, and Edwin Diaz, plus supplementation in the free agent market will allow us to put together a formidable team next season. It's interesting. He didn't mention Kodai Senga, didn't mention Starling Marte, but he did mention Pete Alonso. Okay, so they're including Alonso, at least for the short. Oh, there's Senga. Okay. For the rest of 2023, we look forward to watching the continued development of Senga, Beatty, Vientos, Alvarez, blah, blah, blah. We hope you've experienced all the great. Okay, we can't stress enough how grateful we are for your continued support. Without you, none of this would be worth it. We believe in this organization and our future, which only got brighter over the last few days. Let's go Mets, Steve and Alex Cohen. Okay, there you go. So that is, for lack of a better term, that is the, the Mets version of the Rangers letter. Right? Everybody talks about with the Rangers rebuild and they sent out that letter, whatever year that was. I think we all remember in February or whatever year it was explaining, okay, this is the road we're going down and you know, when they traded away the likes of the Ryan McDonough's and so on and so forth and, you know, decided to retool. It happened quick. You know, the Rangers, they weren't down very long because they were a playoff team in short order. And that still did not prevent them from going out and pursuing high-priced talent and bringing in marquee players around the rest of the National Hockey League. So that's the thing about the Mets. You got the richest owner in the sport. They're not going to stay dormant for too long. You know, and dormant is a strong word, too. Oakland A's is dormant. Kansas City Royals is dormant right now. Where the Mets are, look, you can't go by what the record was today and what it's going to be for the rest of the season because they've waved the white flag on this year. They've essentially given themselves no chance to succeed in 2023. But next year, they're going to be active in free agency. When I say active, I don't mean that they're going to go sign Shohei Otani for $500 million. But they're going to sign Major League free agents because you've got to field a team. And the way that Major League Baseball works, at least this season, go look at team payrolls across the board. All right? Six of the ten lowest payroll teams in baseball right now on this day are in playoff contention. They have a pulse. You do not need to be big spenders to be successful and to have a successful season to where you're playing meaningful games in the month of September. The Mets are the case study. You could go out there and spend a gazillion dollars, richest payroll in the history of the game, and that doesn't assure anything for you. They're going to look at this thing wisely. As they alluded to in that letter there, yes, they did bring in some top-notch talent and some infusion of young talent in their system. Remember, if you believe all these prospect and minor league ranking 
publications across baseball, the Mets were a bottom third team. They were somewhere like in the 20s when you talk about their farm system before the trade deadline and everything. With all these moves that they've made, some people have the Mets as high as like 10 or 11. And with the Mets specifically, four of their top 10 prospects now in the organization are guys who were not Mets two weeks ago. So they have turned over a new leaf. Now, look, a lot of these guys are not going to be ready to join the big club in 2024. That still doesn't mean that they can't surprise. And maybe just maybe, maybe become a little bit more of an enjoyable team to watch next season. When you talk about the youth, you talk about the young talent, and maybe without being shouldered with those high expectations to where, you know, it's like a no-win prospect. If you lose, it's because you're one of the biggest busts in the history of sports. And if you win, you're not winning big enough, right? Like last year. Last year, you won 101 games. You lost in the first round of the playoffs, and you look back at the season and say it's almost like a failure. 800-919-3776. Sean in New York, up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Sean, how are you? Dan, how we doing? Sean, I'm doing great, bro. What's going on? Long-time listener, first-time caller, can't take it no more. I got three points to make about these Yankees because they, 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 they just got me completely fed up with them. Yeah. Number, number one, I did my due diligence and watched closely. Number one, Boone is just a puppet. He's not managing this team. Number one, he doesn't have a pulse on this team at all because I believe there's been – plenty of situations that I'm watching these games and the average manager would have a pulse on the game. He'll pull a picture just by analytics alone. Like he doesn't have that pulse. He, he sits people with no reason to sit people. Right. Second of all, Cashman, Cashman and the suit and ties are running this, running this organization and managing it. Because every time the Yankees blow a game or they just look like crap, pay attention to what Boone says. And if you read in between his lines, he's just taken up for management. How can you point out when you strike out 18 times, he's picking on these little intricate things to make it seem like it was still a good day? Come on, man. Give me a break. I've been a Yankee fan Roy White days, Thurman, I've been a Yankees fan. And never, ever, ever, and you look around the league, the analytics, yes, it plays a part in baseball. Just it, it, Things change. But take a look at around the league. These guys, these guys got a pulse on the game. Boone has no pulse on the game at all. At all. Sean, the Yankees aren't the only one. Look, and I, I, Sean, I don't disagree with what you're saying, by the way, and I thank you for the phone call. All right, but the, if you think the Yankees are the only team in baseball where it's manager and the moves that they make, whether it's from a lineup perspective, pitching, game, all those things, if you think that it's not heavily predicated on analytics, you're kidding yourselves. Kidding yourselves. Now, look, am I a fan of it? Absolutely not. I do believe that there comes a point where you have to manage with your gut. You got to have a little bit of feel, right? You can't, you can't map out nine innings with a computer before the game is played. You can't do it. I love the guy. Talking about Dave Roberts. 
the manager of the Dodgers. Okay? I've had him on my baseball shows a lot. A lot. Right? Real good dude. Answers honest questions, even when things get rough. And remember, the Dodgers had some bad losses in the month of October over the years, right, where they went in as the heavy favorites and never could find their way to the top of the mountain. Guy goes up there, answers all the questions, doesn't shy away from anything. The Dodgers are as analytically driven an organization as you're going to find in all of Major League Baseball. And un- far too often, for my liking, and I've said this to him, I've told him, I said, I don't like the way that the game is dictated and mapped out before it's even played. Things change, right? You can't. You can't derive how a human being is going to feel just from a computer. They're human beings. You never know what's going to happen during a game. And it comes back to bite them. When you send a guy to the mound and you say, all right, we think he's good for five innings. And then we're going to go to this guy in the sixth and this guy in the seventh and this guy in the eighth. Well, what happens if things change? What happens if your guy is dealing? What happens if he's cruising? What ha- you know, so many different circumstances. What happens if they have somebody in their lineup who's maybe not going to be factoring in? The whole nine yards. You can't use a computer to dictate what's going to happen in the game. Now, with the Yankees, Sean was just saying he's been a fan for a long time. A lot of fans feel this way. How long is too much? When does it become stale? What you've been watching since 2009, isn't it almost the same old, same old when it comes to this team? And that's not a question for me to answer. That's the ownership. And that's how. When is too much too much, and when do you feel like you got to make a change? And I don't know what the answer to that question is because he's the one making the decisions, not me. If it was me, I would have made a change a while ago because it's stale. It's played. You know what's not stale? You know, you know what's not played? Rich Samini covers the Jets. We'll talk a little Jet football coming up next. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN. Hi, go Mets! Yeah! This is the Dan Grasser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Why they switched back to doing the ceremony during the afternoon where it's 7,000 degrees in Canton, Ohio, and the people that are going to be sitting there are going to be sweating their you-know-what's off. Because for the last decade-plus, maybe 15 years, it's been at night. It's been a primetime, you know, extravaganza on ESPN and the NFL Network, and at least it's a little bit cooler at night. You're not baking in the sun, but now it's back in the afternoon where it used to be, like when I was a kid growing up, but I don't know. I don't know what warranted the change, but nevertheless, you got a couple of old Jets going in tomorrow, and Joe Klecko and Darrell Revis should be a good old time. Astros 5-1 leading the Yankees in the bottom of the fifth. The book is closed on Luis Severino for the night. Four innings, five hits, five runs, three walks, Two home runs, an ERA of a robust 7.74. Not good, Bob. Not what you want at all. Mets are losing 2-0 in Baltimore in the sixth inning, and they're playing that game tonight because baseball made the schedule once upon a time, and the Mets have to play all 162 games. Let us say hi to Robbie and Mass. He is up next here on 98.7. Robbie, good evening, my friend. How are you? Hello, Rob. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Dan. I didn't realize What's up, Robbie? I thought you were over Rich. Sorry. Yeah. Dan, you know what? Can you explain to me something? Are the yeah. Yankees that stupid that they can't figure out that Luis Severino sucks? I mean, are they that stupid? I mean, the guy has an ERA, and they just keep pitching him over. And Boone is an idiot. God, these guys are idiots. And you're right, what you said before. Here's the same formula for the last 10 years. Over and over. First of all, what kind of knucklehead puts up a predominantly right-handed lineup at Yankee Stadium? 
How about getting some contact hitters that actually hit like over 250 maybe? I mean, I'm so sick of Cashman. I'm so sick of Boone. And it's the same crap every year. Think about this. They have second highest payroll in baseball. We know about the Mets. We know about the issues with the Mets. But this team has had a super high payroll. I mean, we're talking about before Steve Cohen. And yet it's the same construction, the same lineup every year. And yet Hal Steinbrenner sits there like a jerk. I mean, his father is rolling over his grave. I'm sorry. Well, that, Rob, Rob that's, the second, yeah. that's the second one we've gotten so far tonight. And i got to let you go because we have our guest. But that's the second George is rolling over in his grave that we've gotten tonight. We're only halfway through the show. That's pretty good. If I had to put the over-under at, you know, one and a half, I don't know if, we, if I would have taken the over this early in the show. But you never know with fans. Anyway, as promised, talk a little Jets now with our next guest. He, of course, covers the green and white for ESPN. He's done so for a number of years. He is the great Rich Samini. Rich, how we doing, my friend? Have you come down from the high of the Hall of Fame game yet? Well, you know, Dan, thanks for having me, first of all. But it's, it's hard to come down off, off a game like that, you know, <laughs> just uh, thrilling and I was I had a great I was standing right on the field down in the end zone as Strebler was trying to lead this dramatic comeback and came up a little short so yeah it was uh, it was a little tough to get to sleep last night yeah then tell me about it no Strebler magic though <laughs> at least uh, for the first not this week year of August not this year but he still has a few more cracks at it as we move forward um, to me of course I think you start with the quarterback and Zach Wilson who played last night. Look, in a perfect world, if you're a Jet fan, Zach Wilson's not going to see the field this year because you want Aaron Rodgers to play every game and to have success. But did you see any different of a quarterback in the three series that we witnessed last night? Well, you know, he looked a little more settled. I think that's the word he used afterwards. I I thought he was pretty honest afterwards. You know, he said last year I was it was a little hectic and scrambled. He goes, this time I felt like I went in with a plan. And uh, and I thought on the long pass, the 57-yarder, we're all going to look at the throw and say, wow, that was a good throw. But the part that really stuck out to me was that he, I think he knew he was going to go to Taylor right away because he saw man-to-man coverage on the outside. But he used his eyes to manipulate the safety in the middle of the field. He held that safety just long enough to give Taylor a chance to get free down the, down the left sideline, and then he turned quickly and made the throw. So I thought that was a veteran-savvy move by Zach on the play that maybe goes unnoticed. And the rest of it, you know, was kind of routine. I mean, he really didn't – I think he played 11 plays. So I think he felt good after the game, and, and that's the most important thing. That just Because we know – remember what he looked like after that Jacksonville game last year? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he just looked lost. I mean, he was shattered after that game. He had no confidence. And last night you could see he felt good about himself, and that's the biggest takeaway. Offensive line, I think it's fair to say, is still probably the biggest question mark involving this team. And Makai Becton may be the biggest question mark, no pun intended, literally. He only made it through seven plays last night and still may be a little uneasy with that knee. Ultimately, how do you think this story is going to end for Becton this year in regards to this football team? Uh, you know, he's not going to be an opening day starter. I think, I think fans uh, are uh, disillusioned that they think that Makai Beckham is going to come in there and win a starting job. His goal right now is to get through a game. I mean, let forget about starting. He's coming back from two surgeries. It's been a long road for him. It hasn't been easy. He had the weight issue. He lost a lot of weight. He looks good, but he's obviously still bothered by that knee. He said, he said he felt a little discomfort in the warmups last night. And I think he was a little leery of that 
turf field, and so he took himself out after seven snaps. The Jets obviously expected him to go a lot longer, 20 to 25 snaps. So, but Mackay uh, was upbeat after the game. You know, he, he was really pumped that it was his first game action in two years, and it, it was a building block for him. I think Jets fans have to reset the expectations for Mackay Becton. Uh, he, he's just trying to get through games and practices. And then when he can do that and he has confidence in his knee, then he could compete for a starting job. Talking about Rich Samini here on 98.7 ESPN. Another offensive lineman we saw a good deal of last night was Joe Tipman, the rookie second-rounder out of Wisconsin. Now, he's hardly gotten any run with the ones this year so far in camp. And, you know, even though it might have been against backups last night, by all accounts, he looked like he stood out and played pretty well here. Do you see him working his way up the depth chart over the next couple of weeks to where maybe he's going to give Connor McGovern a run for that number one spot? Yeah, I don't see that happening. I think McGovern's experience, his veteran savvy, I think is something that works well with Aaron Rodgers. Um, had this been two years ago, and the Jets were like the first year under solid rebuilding, I think Joe Tippett would be starting. But this is a different team. It's a different expectation level. And while Connor McGovern obviously didn't light it up last year, otherwise the Jets would have re-signed him a lot quicker and given him a lot more money than he got, he does bring a strong mental game to the position, and that's something you want from your center. So, so no, I, don't, I think Joe Tippett's time will come but I don't think that's going to be by opening day. Izzy Abanaconda found the end zone last night. They like his home run ability, given the fact where, you know, what he did in Pittsburgh, and he has that burst. Um, do you think that they're okay with where they are right now at the depth position at running back to where maybe just maybe they don't have to go all in and trying to pursue somebody like Dalvin Cook? Yeah, I don't think they're going to go all in for Dalvin Cook. I think had they gone all in, he would be a Jet already. So I think they're approaching that as if uh, with a very uh, methodical approach. Uh, the Jets like their depth. You know, you didn't see Carter last night. You didn't see Bam Knight. That tells me that the coaches know what they can do and, and that they're pretty set with their roster spots. Abanaconda, you know, he looked great on the 10-yard run. You saw the ability to catch the edge there with that speed they know he can run fast i mean that's not the issue it's just being a little more physical on some of the other runs being a little bit more uh decisive is what they're looking for from him so he's probably their third running well actually he'll be their fourth running back when Brees hall comes back so i think the jets feel like they have a good backfield right now i do believe there's still mutual interest in dalvin cook but i don't think it's like a must-have for the jets we saw a little bit of Will McDonald last night, and, I mean, look, for the first time, and it seems like forever, I was saying, Jets' first-round pick is not going to have to come in here and be like an every-down starter or expected to be a huge contributor, and that's in part to the fact that they have an incredible amount of depth on that defensive line. I'll tell you, it's going to be pretty interesting trying to make those final cuts because you got a lot of quality players at that position, which you know Robert Sala, Jeff Ulbrick, that defense, they covet a lot of guys that they can shuttle in and out on that D-line. Yeah, I, I have them, uh, you know, we had our, we have a roster pool for the beat writers, which in our final rosters were due yesterday. So I had them keeping 10 defensive linemen, six wow. defensive end and four tackles. And uh, there's just, they like rotating all those defensive ends. They'll dress nine for a game. Uh, we, we've seen them do that for sure. I think there might've been even one or two games where they had 10 last year. So, you know, McDonald's going to have to work his way in 
as a situational pass rusher. Certainly you don't want a guy that size playing rundowns on first and second down, but he did look fast last night. I mean, he, he played, I think, 29 snaps. He had two tackles, two pressures. Um, we saw the spin move that yep. he has been talking about that he tried to emulate from uh, Max Crosby. Um, maybe maybe a couple of too many spin moves, but, you know, it's something he likes and feels comfortable with. So I was impressed by just his explosiveness and his get-off, and it's going to be interesting. But, you know, he was playing a lot with Bryce Huff, who is a similar type player, an undersized speed rusher. So I don't think we'll see the two of them out there at the same time during the season. But for this particular game, they certainly were able to crash down on the edges for sure. Last thing, and I know you got to run here. What does your gut tell you? I know Robert Sala said that there's maybe a chance, but do you think Jet fans can expect to see Aaron Rodgers at all in this preseason? Yeah, I do think there's a chance. Aaron Rodgers sounds like he wants to play. You know, he said it to us the other day. I wouldn't mind playing in the preseason. He actually, uh, I wasn't aware of this fact until yesterday, but he played in the preseason for his first 14 years in the league and then uh, has not played in the preseason since 2018. Uh, I do think he wants to do it. It wouldn't be till the last game against the Giants. It would probably be a series or two just to get a little tune-up with the other starters. But for the next couple of games, Dan, you know, you're going to see – the Zach Wilson show. He's going to get more and more reps. He'll play a lot against Carolina and then against Tampa Bay. And so, and that's good because he, yep. you know, he needs the reps. Like, right. Like Salah said last night, you know, he's basically a rookie, you know, he's starting over new offense, new footwork, new terminology. Everything's new for Zach Wilson. So he needs the reps. Should be pretty interesting, no doubt. September 11th, though, can't get here soon enough with the start of this regular season. I think all fans would probably echo that, and media alike, of course, too, Rich. Thanks for a couple, my friend. Enjoy Canton. Next couple of days should be pretty fun, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you out there next week. All right, Dan. Thanks for having me. All right, there's Rich Semini, of course, covers the Jets. He's in Canton for the Hall of Fame festivities tomorrow there at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll get into some Giants talk as well because there's a guy who's turning heads in Giant camp a part of this rookie class, which could be a good thing for Daniel Jones. Dan Gross' show till 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN.